morning from Psalm 22, if you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. I'm going to read some words that the psalmist wrote and some words that you may have spoken at some time in your life. Psalm 22, beginning with verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer by night, and am not silent. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the praise of Israel. In you our fathers put their trust. They trusted, and you delivered them. They cried to you and, and were saved. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by men, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast upon you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Well, we don't know exactly what was going on with this guy, but it's a rough time. Obviously, a rough time in his life. In fact, he's looking at what God is allowing to happen in his life, and he's, he says, God, I kind of feel like about the same level as a worm. Something that you accidentally step on when you walk out to go start the car. Last week we looked at 9-11 and I kind of touched on the, the issue of suffering and, and what, what was going on in all of that and all of the questions in people's minds. And so what I wanted to do this morning was, was kind of complete what, in a sense, I started last week or maybe not complete what I started but just take it a little farther because this is a very big issue. In that message, we talked about, you know, where was God in 9-11? And, and when those things happen, there's that three-letter word that comes into our mind. And the three-letter word is why. Three-letter word is why. We've all asked that question. And so I'd like to explore that a little bit more deeply this morning. As I do that, however, I, I want us to look at some possibilities as to how to answer that question, why. And I don't want us, I never want to be so arrogant as to think that I can answer that question, why, in many situations. There's an interesting verse in Deuteronomy 29. And I'd like you to look at that. It says, the secret things belong to the Lord, our God. But the things revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we, may be, that we may follow all the words of this law. So in other words, God has revealed certain things to us, but there are secret things. I just find that so intriguing. There are secret things that God has not revealed to us. And He's not going to reveal them to us in this life and you and I would love to know what those secret things are, but I believe it is those secret things which one day will 
we may find out what they are, and if we do, it will kind of cause us to go, oh, oh, now, you know, I didn't understand that. And so when we ask this question why, often we're trying to penetrate into that area of the secret things of God, a place where we will not be able to go. It's important to be prepared, however, to answer that question why. It, for two reasons. Number one is because one day you're going to ask it. If you haven't already, you will. And so you need to be prepared. God has given us a lot of things to help us understand that question. Secondly, you're going to run into somebody who's asking that question. In fact, most of the people outside these walls today, most people have turned their back on God, asked that question, and didn't know the answer. And uh, I have talked to many people who just said, you know what, this happened in my life, and I said, I'm done. I I'm not pursuing this God thing anymore. If that's, if that's what an all-powerful, all-loving God allows, then, then I'm done. And, and here's that question. Why would an all-loving, all-good, all-powerful God allow this to happen? That's the question that many people who, for one reason or another, turn their back on God, that's a question that they never answer. So, how do we prepare for that moment? How do we understand? Well, the answer is something that maybe up front sounds a little bit dry, but one of the greatest ways to be able and be prepared to answer that question is to have a very solid understanding of systematic theology. Now, how's that for an answer? Uh, let me boil it down one step farther uh, and understand the basic doctrines of the Christian faith and what we're going to do this morning in the time that we have left, in these next 20 minutes or so, is I'm going to maybe overwhelm you a little bit, but I want you to understand why understanding the basic doctrines of Scripture gives us so much insight into that question why and gives us so much insight into our world. And so uh, this could very easily be a 10-part series, a 10-week series. And so this is kind of like the trailer to that series I'm going to show you this morning. And we're just going to take a couple minutes. I'm just going to walk through as many doctrines here as we have time and, and just help us see how each one of them feeds into answering this question, why, for all the stuff that we see in our world. I remember a few years ago, it was a couple not too far from here, driving through Green Bay, 12-passenger van, 10 children, muffler pipe broke, muffler hit the ground, sparked up, ignited the gas tank, mom and dad pulled the van over, jumped out to get the kids out, and the whole van burst into flame. And so there they are, standing there watching all 10 of their children go up in flames. True story, just an hour and a half from here. These doctrines speak very specifically to that and a thousand similar experiences that are going to happen today. Not, not last year or ten years ago, but today. There are people right now who have just gotten the word that their life has been turned upside down because a tragedy has hit. And so, <clears throat> this is a pretty critical question. And God has given us a lot of things to help us understand. So, 
here we go. <clears throat> I'm going to just, we're going to move through this and uh, we'll see how far we get and look at some of these basic, basic doctrines. You know what? I want to say this up front too. We may not like the fact that these doctrines are what they are, but that doesn't change the fact that they're true and they do explain the world in which we live. Here's the first one. The doctrine of the fall. Find it right in the first part of the Bible. The doctrine of the fall. We live in a fallen world. All of creation is under a curse and things as a result of that, things go wrong. Cars go wrong. Accidents happen. Nature gets all out of whack. Uh, we don't have to look just look at this past summer. People say, what's wrong with this world of ours? Well, the Bible answers that. It's fallen. The world has fallen. This is not Eden. This is not the day that's going to come. You and I live in this fallen world. And so Jesus looks at his disciples and he said, I can tell you this. In this world, you will have tribulation. I can promise you that. You will have tribulation in this fallen world. He also said in Matthew, he said, you know what? And God's reign will fall on the just and the unjust. So those who would propagate a theology that says if you have faith, everything will go well, just don't line up biblically with what the Bible very clearly teaches. We live in a fallen world, and the rain from that fallen world falls, Jesus said, on the just and the just. So... In those Twin Towers, they were probably evil, godless, God-hating people, and they were born again, believing uh, people who were seeking after God. God didn't get all of the people out that we would say perhaps deserve to be out. We find the rain falls on just and the unjust. <clears throat> Things go wrong. You and I are not exempt. So, we live in a fallen world. Very important doctrine to remember. Here's a second one, and it's very closely related. And that is the doctrine of sin. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinful. And you know what? We don't have to work very hard at it. Sin can come pretty naturally in our lives. And what we find is that God, as powerful as He is, has chosen to allow us to make choices to act in sinful ways. Today when you go out, some of you may be affected by people who make sinful choices. And God has allowed us to act in those ways. You know, as people, we want to be able to choose. We all want to be able to choose. But then when, you know, when God allows us to choose and we choose poorly, then we get mad at God. You know, we're kind of like the little kid who colors on the wall and then blames God for giving them coloring crayons. I mean, we're a lot like that. God gives us all these gifts and then we, we misuse them and then we blame God. People make choices, God allows us to experience the impact of those choices. And that spells a lot of pain. Now, I wish that wasn't true. I wish this doctrine wasn't true, but it's true. 
And so we have sinful marriages, <clears throat> we have sinful bosses, we have sinful employees, we have sinful churches, we have sinful pastors, and we all experience that pain in our world. The other thing is that sin is, is always progressive. <clears throat> you know, just because we have iPhones and iPods and iPads doesn't mean things are getting better. Sometimes we think if something's new, it's better. Not necessarily. Things are always progressing either one way or another. People are either seeking after God and things are improving or people are not seeking after God and things are degenerating. And it will just keep getting worse. <clears throat> Another doctrine. The doctrine of the devil, of Satan. Do you know that the majority of people do not believe that Satan is real? In fact, uh, Barna's work finds that the majority of people who, would, who attend a Christian church and would call themselves a Christian, that the majority of them do not believe that the devil is real. That the devil is just kind of a symbol of evil in the world. I think that's significant. The Bible talks about the devil over a hundred times in Scripture. There are over a hundred references to Satan in the Bible. And so we find that, you know, what if, what if Satan, you know, if that's really true, then what was Jesus talking about in the wilderness? Thanks. <clears throat> you know, when Jesus went and he was tempted for 40 days, was he just imagining that the devil was tempting him? Was that just something going on in the figment of his imagination? Did people just make the story up? Uh, when Paul writes in Ephesians 6, and he says, you know what? Our struggle, it's not against flesh and blood. It's against principalities and powers and rulers and authorities in, in high places. Is he just playing with our minds? Is he just imagining that? Um, there are countless, countless, countless stories of manifestations of the power of evil and demons around the world. I have experienced them in, in my life, in our family. I have seen that firsthand. And so to deny this is to deny the fact that there's a battle going on around us and there are casualties in that battle in which you and I live. There is one who is seeking to kill and to destroy. And a lot of what we see going on in the world is related to that doctrine. <clears throat> Here's another doctrine. The doctrine of judgment. That wrongs need to be punished. Now we know that. We believe that. We all, we all know what it's like when the trial comes up and we know someone's guilty and all of a sudden you know, the evidence is... You know, maybe, the, maybe they didn't collect the evidence correctly and somebody gets off and we're all feeling this sense of injustice. We know what that feels like. We desire justice, of course, except when we're the one that's being judged. And then we would like for God to just kind of turn his face the other way and, and be the merciful God that we, you know, we kind of call God out and say, well, aren't you merciful? Yeah, but he's also just. 
And so we see that judgment is, is being poured out. <clears throat> In fact, right here as we, as we are here today, the Scriptures tell us that God's judgment is being poured out. Romans 1.18, the wrath of God is being revealed, present, it's being revealed from heaven against all godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So, God's wrath is being revealed. How does he reveal his wrath? It's very interesting if you read on in the text. <clears throat> God reveals his wrath by giving us over to our own sinful desires and our sinful nature. So, here's how God reveals his wrath. He says, okay, if that's what you want to do, if that's what you, how you want to live, if that's how you want to act, then go at it. And we've, we, you know, we, experience, we will experience that truth. You know, sin will always take you farther than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, cost you more than you want to pay. It will always lead you to that dead end. And God said, okay, I'll just let sin and its consequences take their natural course in your life. Some theologians have speculated. You know, we look at the Old Testament judgments of God and they seem so harsh. Some have said that perhaps the judgment of God on nations is simply God putting people out of their misery. Because things will continue. Once a nation turns from God, things will continue and continue to degenerate. And we've seen this historically until finally the civilization implodes and it basically annihilates itself. <clears throat> we see the judgment of God in our world. And what we saw last Sunday was when you look at the twin, you know, the look at the towers, twin towers experience, and people say, you know, was this the judgment of God? Was that the judgment of God on people, what happened on 9-11? Well, Jesus would answer that question to say, <clears throat> you know, he, he would basically say that as you, as you look at that experience, don't just look at the Twin Towers. Look at everything going on in the world. The judgment of God, the wrath of God against godlessness and sinfulness is being poured out everywhere around you. Everywhere around you. The impact of sin is present in all of our lives. All of us here are, we're all dying. All of us. And so we see that impact there's no isolated incident. Is this a judgment of God? Is this a judgment of God? The whole fallenness of the world is God's judgment against sin. Another doctrine is a doctrine of, of suffering. Well, this is such this is such an important doctrine. We we don't have a very good theology of suffering. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4:17. He says. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving, they're achieving for us an eternal glory. The sufferings in your life and mine are achieving for us some kind of eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So what's Paul saying here? He's saying, did you know that suffering is a gift from God? Is that how you look at suffering? When something comes into your life, do you say, well, God, in some way, you're going to use this to achieve 
some kind of glory for all eternity that will far outweigh whatever cost this suffering has in my life. That's a pretty different way to look at suffering. Pretty interesting way to look at suffering. You know, something happened on 9-11, and you, you read it in the commentators, when 9-11 ha happened for about two or three weeks in this country, something changed. Didn't it? And, and we came together as a country in that moment of great suffering. And God does something in the context of suffering. He does it in people. He does it in churches. He does it in families. And as difficult as suffering is, God has purposes in allowing suffering in the world and in our lives. I think back in my ministry to some of the most tragic things, but I also remember some of the sweetest experiences of, of, of God in the midst of those experiences. And so we have this whole area of the doctrine of suffering. Here's another one that's closely related, and that's the doctrine of what we call sanctification. The doctrine of sanctification. These are big words, but they're very practical as we begin to dig into them. Romans 8, 28. We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son. <clears throat> so what's the goal of our lives? What's the goal of your life? I know the goal of my life, smooth sailing. Right? I mean, let's, let's admit it. We all pray for comfortable things. We don't want stuff to go wrong in our lives. We pray that things would go right. So is, is, is the goal of my life that things would go right, or is the goal of my life that I become like Jesus? Because God says He's working all things for the good, and that good is to become, to be conformed to the image of Christ. So God's idea of what's good for you is that you would become like Christ. So what did Christ do? He left the comforts, that's what the glory of heaven means, and He incarnated Himself into the suffering of the world so that He could minister to the people of the world by experiencing all that we experience. In fact, the Bible says that we, we have a high priest who can sympathize with us because He has experienced everything we did. You know who the people I, I can really understand and have just something happens in my heart towards them? People who have chemical allergies, people who have low back pain, people who have been through prostate cancer, people who have been through heart surgery. I can... I have an affinity with those people. I have an ability, I think, to care about people and those. Why? Because those are the, some of the things that God has allowed into my life. And if you look at your life, you'll understand that. That God has a goal of, of, of making us like Christ, and that means that He takes us into the experiences of people in this world, of suffering people, so that we might better minister. And that's a whole different goal for your life. Thus, when you enter into a time of of trial or, or suffering, I think the appropriate response would not be to say, 
Oh no, God, why? God's already, God's already told us. He's given us so many answers to that question. And if we've been living in sin, then we know perhaps God's judgment is on our life. Or we're reaping what we're sowing. If we've been seeking after God and suffering comes, we know that He's probably taking us into an area of sanctifying our lives, making us more like Christ. And so we probably should say, God, oh, this is going to be tough, but, but I know you have something good in here for me. Give me the strength to walk through this and learn what you want me to learn. The doctrine says, this doctrine says, God will allow tragedy in your life to make you more like Jesus. Is that okay with you? Is that okay with you? We have the doctrine of God. We could spend months on that one. God is all loving. You know, His character, He's perfectly good. He's all merciful. People in trial and tragedy will say, well, I don't see it. That's fine. You don't have to see it. Does that mean it's not true? You know, we can't see God's goodness. Well, we don't see the secret things of God either. Isaiah 55, verse 8. God says, My thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are my ways your ways, declares the Lord. So here's what you can count on in tragedy. Here's what you can count on in the midst of tragedy. That you will not understand many things about it. Because your ways are not God's ways and your thoughts are not God's thoughts. <clears throat> and so we can just expect that. God is sovereign. It's another character. I mean, this is huge. I mean, this is really the core of everything. And that is that God is sovereign. But that means God doesn't owe us a thing. He doesn't owe you a thing. He doesn't owe me a thing. He doesn't owe me my, my wife, my kids, my family, my job, my car, my health. He doesn't owe me the next breath. Does He? I mean, why does God owe us anything? Everything that is here came into existence because God put it there. He is sovereign. He can do whatever He wants with it. He has the right to do whatever He wants with it. He's not obligated to us. Everything, everything comes from Him. I was listening to a, a worship leader and he was just talking about the, the name for God is, is Yahweh. And the way it's spelled, it's extremely difficult to pronounce. It's almost like it, it almost like it, it almost has no sound. In fact, when you try and pronounce it according to the Hebrew, if, if, you, if, you, were to, if you were to take your breath and exhale and go, <sighs> it's almost the sound of the name. And obviously this is speculation, but he was saying, what if every time we exhale, <sighs> we're saying the name of God? What if... God who put the breath of life in us. It says He put His breath. He breathed into us. What if every time we breathed out, we were breathing the name of God? It would be, the, it would be a fitting reminder that it's in Him that we live and move and have our being. And so, if God wants to allow a tragedy in life for His purposes, He certainly has every right to do that. The doctrine of Christ, we looked at that last week. And what does Christ tell us? It tells us that God can sympathize 
with what it's like to suffer. God knows what it's like to lose a son. God knows what it's like to see his child mistreated, abused, misrepresented. He's experienced all things as we do. And in the midst of the deepest tragedy you will ever walk through, Christ is smack dab there, right in the middle, offering hope, offering redemption. He has overcome every tragedy. That's the message of the cross. The doctrine of Christ. We cling, even in the face of death, to this amazing hope. And then lastly, our time's up. And we could just keep going this morning. The doctrine of last things. The doctrine of last things. Revelation 21.4 reminds us that all this chaos and stuff in our world is going somewhere. 21.4 He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. The old order of things has passed away. Let's not forget that we are heading somewhere. That God is taking all of this somewhere. That we are called to set our mind on this place. That we're running a race. You know what? Races are hard. Races take perseverance. But there's a finish to the race. And that's really where the celebration begins. When we get to the end of the race. And so, we have this tremendous hope in the midst of the most difficult circumstance that, that God has something planned. You know, for the parent that loses a child, you know, that there's this reunion. That, as David said, I, he can't come to me, but I will go to him. So, to conclude... Number one, expect tribulations. Expect them. You're not exempt from them because you know Christ. In fact, God will probably put you in them because you know Christ. Secondly, learn from them. There's so much to learn in the midst of those things that God brings us through. And we always come out a deeper person. We always come out with a better capacity to minister to other people. So learn from those experiences. And lastly, and this may sound rather strange and radical, but the Bible says, Paul says, I glory in my sufferings. Believe that in some way that you don't understand, because it's part of the thoughts of God's, but God has said it's true, that when you go through suffering, that somehow in some way, that is a gift from God that He's allowing in your life. Father, we thank You this morning for, uh, <clears throat> for answering the question, why? And you really have told us a lot. You really have prepared us, Father. We may not always know the specific answer to that question, why? But Lord, we know there are many reasons why difficult things happen. And uh, Father, I pray 
that in the midst of those times that we would pray that you would prepare this foundation in our lives, that we understand the fallen world we live in, we understand the, the sinfulness of it, we understand we're in, a, we're in a cosmic battle with powers and forces of evil, that Father, judgment is, is played out on the earth and it affects us all. Father, that you are creating us into the image of your Son through difficulties in our lives. Father, that you are sovereign in all things, that you have given us Christ, and uh, Lord, that you've given us hope. And so, Lord, just, uh, just prepare us for the things of life that we may be able to respond in a way that brings glory and, and honor to you. Father, we pray now for these gifts that we receive as we conclude this service. Lord, we give them a response to you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.